You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Keen. And then Matt Dye. And Zach Shermer. There Woo! you go. I was wondering if you'd just catch on to the little trend we had going there. Well, so. last time you introduced me the last two times, and one That's time right. you said my name incorrectly. We've said it. On purpose. Zachary <laughs> Shermer. Twice now. Twice. So anyway, Zach is joining us again on this week's podcast, Habitat-focused podcast right here on Sportsman's Nation. This week's podcast brought to you by... RTP Outdoors, makers of the Genesis No-Till Drill, Goliath Crimper, the Groundbreaker, and all sorts of other wonderful things for food plot implements. If you want to learn more, check them out online or Facebook, RTP Outdoors. All right. We have a very fun-filled podcast. You guys are just sitting over there frowning on me. A fun-filled podcast for you as we kick off the very first QDMA module recap, um, and then we have some a whole long list of would-you-rathers that s- listeners have been sending in over the last 24 hours. You, so You know, I, I just kind of thought of this when you were talking about it. Um, you know how our church, they do like the Summer Sizzling series where like the pastor, they kind of go on, on break, yeah. they bring in a bunch of guests. Um, it's kind of what this is. It's kind of a, a little different spin, but we're, we're cranking up the, the fun on it and trying to get some interaction from Facebook and Instagram on, on viewers' questions and the Would You Rathers, and it's going to be off the cuff, and we're just going to roll with it and see what our answers, how they fall, how they lie, and probably have some good discussions with some of the questions that have come through. Yes. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll, be it, cool. it'll be a lot of fun, but before we do that... We've got to go through our QDMA yes, module one, do. aging deer on the hoof. So if this is sounding new to you, for the next nine weeks, we are going through each online module that QDMA has produced. This first one, aging deer on the hoof, um, is, is week number one. Adam and I have been working through it um, during the past week and going through that course material, um, articles, videos, and 
learning about it just like you guys are, hopefully. Um, if you need to sign up and have not yet signed up, go to www.qdma.com forward slash land and legacy, and that will take you to a special coupon, 20% off for the online modules. And um, again, we're going through aging deer in the hoof. If you miss this week, you can go back on your own time and, and go through that. But um, man, that was a fun little course. That it was, was. Cool. it was for sure. And and just so we're clear, the the coupon, coupon. Um, covers, <laughs> that's, what, that's what granny said, the coupon. <laughs> Uh, it's twenty percent off, so that takes yeah. the price down to seventy nine. Seventy nine bucks. Yep. Uh, seventy nine bucks for all a, eight of them. For yep. all eight of the modules that cover a wide variety of things. This week is aging deer on the hoof. It was very interesting for me because it covered a lot of different things about aging deer, not speci- uh, not just trail cam picture. There's a deer on the hoof, or he walks by yeah. a stand, but how to age him after you made the harvest by looking at teeth and and. Uh, so it was really, it, it was interesting, even for me. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of this stuff over the years, but putting it all together and it's just one spot to look through it all, there was a lot to learn. Well, I think that's the value of the, the module itself. Like, QDMA has got so many articles and publications and videos and stuff that they do, um, and these modules, put them all together, and it's like in, kind of an intense, like, let's learn about aging deer, and, and you don't have to go through a bunch of different other articles and fluff. Like, this is the straight up information. Um, so this is the perfect time of year and it just kind of correlated. This is number one on the list. Um, but we're getting into the middle of June, late June. Um, and and deer starting to really show up on cameras and everyone is talking about, you know, who's showing up age this buck. So these skills that hopefully you learned or will learn this week, um, following along this podcast is going to get you, um, ready for the summer and get you building hit list, and um, or maybe just watching some up and comers throughout the summer. Are um, you guys going to dig into it? Is that what you're going to? He, he's just yeah. waiting to, to well, hear the information. Matt's all about diving into it. Oh gosh. Oh, I said digging in. You is said that, digging is that a into tip it. Jar one too? Yeah. No, not yet, but it will be. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I was just curious. Yeah. No, Matt's ready to dive on in. I guess. Dive on in, Matt. All right. So, one of the biggest things I think that I I took away from this week. Um, and, and specifically on, on the fact of aging deer, like on the hoof as, as in pictures, we're talking trail camera images that you get, um, is cover up the antlers. Like that's such the simplest thing to do when you're talking about aging deer on the hoof, because each region, each age class, you can make generalizations. And I think that generalization is what you make plays, whether you're consciously thinking about it or not plays into a part of your end decision when you're aging deer on the hoof if that makes if that makes sense so when you get the picture of a deer immediately cover up the antlers and just look at the body they walk you through what you need to know the body characteristics to identify you see the poster back behind us um like that's a good snapshot but they walk you through it but yes, don't let those yes, antlers. Zach, there's a poster back there. <laughs> don't let those answers. I mean, those those antlers. Excuse me. Um, cl- kind of cloud your judgment or, or distract you from looking at w- the features you really need to look at. You yes. know, I, and I think that's where we can say too. If if searching for a deer of a certain age class is what you don't enjoy about hunting, then then that this then looking for the age of a deer maybe isn't for you, but. Um, if, if, and so many of us are 
very curious on the age class or of the age of a deer, not even just a target deer, but a nice up-and-comer saying, how old is that deer? This is a great opportunity to learn and educate yourself on how to do that. Um, I think there was a couple times in there where I'm like, that's a that's a really good analogy. I like that. It makes mm-hmm. you really think about it. And there's The whole first part was talking about all the different age classes of deer and the cat- and the characteristics of each one of those. And, I, and one that came to me was, I, and I think a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old buck, it's now starting to get that difference between looking like a a, a doe um, for, as a yearling to looking more like a buck, but his legs are still long. So it's almost like a guy putting on a pair of high heels. He's got long legs and he looks un- uncoordinated. And that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, that that to me, two and a half year old is a is a guy is a buck in high heels. He's got long <laughs> legs and, mm, and look he looks pants. awkward. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So anyway. Um, but no, it was a it was a great little module, and uh, I, I learned a lot. One of the other things that I think that was really neat that I had never seen anyone do before um, in the module, they they had a trail camera location, and they had a mature buck that had come through um, right there, perfectly broadside. And then after that, a couple camera pictures later, they had a younger buck come and stand in almost the exact same position. And what they did was take the the buck, the mature buck that they knew was mature. I think they said he might have been five and a half. And then they've removed him from the photo, but kept his outline. And what that did was allow the younger buck to stand almost within his outline. And you could clearly see the differences in body posture, um, position, and the key features that you're looking at, I mean, it pretty much just screamed off the screen huh, at you. But it's like, wow, that's so much clearer when, you, when you're able to look at the outline compared to the actual body of that younger deer. So um, if you have the ability to, to do that on your own property, um, use that as a tool. You know, put them kind of, if you will, side by side or over top of one another and look at the differences. Um, yes. tooth, what, go ahead. I, I thought of one term that I get. I, I see people get mixed up a lot as he gave the def- definitions of fawns and yearlings. Uh, How often do you hear uh, a, yeah. a, a button buck or something come out of food plot and someone's like, oh, yeah, there's a yearling out there. And it's like, it's not the same. Yep. Yep. And, and like I that thought of that six, one. Six months old. Yeah. And so I, there's a clear d- difference between a fawn and a yearling. And they explain the differences in, in physical characteristics. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one thing that I liked was the looking f- judging a fawn or finding out if it's a fawn or not based on the head and that its eyeball is the same distance to its ear as it is the end of its nose mm-hmm. and uh so a lot of really cool scenarios that are easy to use in the field once you put those in the old memory bank and yeah. you're in a tree stand and you say okay that deer has that characteristics uh, or that characteristic i know that it's this old and then they walk you through the process of once you harvest that animal how do you confirm everything that you gained and, and thought you knew about that deer. And once you pull that jawbone, how you can confirm that age. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, the, were you, I was just wondering what is the number one thing you're looking for right now on trail camera pictures to tell if it's a mature buck, like er, mid June into July. (laughs) There's a lot of things. Um, and, and that's where it goes into, there's not one certain thing that you look at every single time because each deer is different. So even mm. an older age buck may show a little bit different characteristics. So we're looking at five or six different characteristics to really try to decide the age of the buck. So it could be, we can't just say, I want to look at the neck yeah. and say, okay, if his neck's that big, 
then I know he's that old. But you can get a younger buck who really gets swollen up, and you're like, well, he's got a huge neck. He must be old. But it's just that characteristic of that deer, he, he carries his frame a little differently. Honestly, the neck at this time of the year, summer, yeah. is very misleading. I mean, because they have their summer coats on. They're, yeah. they're not full. But <clears throat> things that I would look at specifically is the depth of that chest yeah. and the, the, the belly that they have on. So how, how what do those legs look like? Are they long? Are they short? And that's going to tell me off the top of my head, like right then and there, looking at that trail camera, how old is he? Yeah. I look that's, at legs and gut a lot. Yeah, I look at gut. That's what I was exactly. going to say. And I was wondering... Um, you know, this time of year, a lot of deer are probably pretty thin, right? I mean, I know mm-hmm. there's a lot of yeah. food, but it's hot. Like you said, yeah. there's no winter coats. Summer so, coats, yeah. Uh, or summer coats, sorry. They're um, lean. Yeah, they're lean. So it's like, you know, you see a buck in the fall, even if you don't see the antlers, you just, you know, a mature buck, you're like, okay, that's different than all the other ones. His barrel chest. So I was just curious. And on the you know, flip this side of summer, when, what they look like. Yeah, and, and it really individual and individual health. There's a deer that could be fully mature. But he's he had a rougher spring. Let's say he dealt with an internal yeah. injury that we can't see on the outside, That's and true. so he looks even scrawnier. And we're like, oh, he's he's just a three year old. Hmm. But then a couple months from now, he gets over that and he really swells up, and you're like, man, I think he's older now. That's why it's important to really think about and and try to find images and get images of those deer throughout the growing season, throughout summer, then even throughout the hunting season. But then also educate yourself on when you see them in person. So if they do come by, you can study them and make those in-the-field um, yeah. ideas. And, and that's what it's all about. Uh, and they give plenty of ideas and ways to, to age a deer, esti- estimate the age of a deer, both through trail cameras and field observations, and then once you harvest them, hopefully. Without digging in too deep and all that, I feel like, one of the biggest things on aging a deer for me personally is has a lot to do with just pure experience in the field, right? Mm-hmm. The more deer you see, the more you're going to notice ones that are different than the others. Oh, you know oh, what I mean? For sure. I remember, you know, first hunting, I'd see a two and a half year old coming up and I, my heart would drop and I'd be like, this is the biggest buck I ever seen, but I hadn't <laughs> seen a lot of deer then, you know? So yeah. the more years you spend in the stand, the more times you go out there and hunt and you see a lot more deer and you see mature deer, you're like, oh, well, that that guy looks a lot different than that other buck that just walked by. <laughs> exactly, like in the, in the, like you said, the area, the neighborhood that you're in, the the age structure that you're exposed to, in those infield observations is very telling um, of of your ability to accurately estimate deer on the hoof in the field, mm-hmm. because if, if you're not predisposed to seeing three-and-a-half-year-old deer and distinguishing them between a four-and-a-half and older deer, that first three-and-a-half-year-old that walks out, you're like you said, you're going to start, your heart's going to start racing, which is awesome. Um, but it could lead you to believe that he's four-and-a-half or, yeah. or older. You just don't have those observations. Um, so, again, what you're exposed to in your area can influence that a little bit. Yeah, and trail cameras have just changed the game on that too. I mean, mm-hmm. just all the intel you can gather. But anyway, well, absolutely. And I and think uh, when you look at aging deer, I think that goes hand in hand with, like you said, the more the more you can look at, the better off you are. And Cutie May has a thing, age this in each one of their magazines, mm-hmm. and it's a great thing because there's five guys, five well educated biologists who have been doing this a long time and you'll notice that each catalog or each magazine 
couple of them think differently than the others. And yeah. it, but they always go off the average, so there's always going to be generally three guys that always are on the same page. And then, um, and you just don't know. I mean, you can get it pretty doggone close, but that's why it's so important to follow up if you do harvest that animal to pull the jawbone and, and confirm how old he was. And then that helps you get a better idea of the, the, the deer in your neighborhood and what they look like. Because, Matt, I'll ask you this. What was one of your favorite things about that module? One of my favorite things was actually when you're looking at tooth wear replacement and that ability for you to accurately, more accurately, um, estimate the age of deer. This is yeah. post-harvest, obviously, when you can pull the jawbone and examine that. And I think that pulling a jawbone and examining that way and determining age has always been kind of one of those, if, if you will, the topics in, in school like math and or long division when you're in fourth grade. And you're like, oh, you just kind of dread it. You're, you're, you're not looking forward to learning it um, because it, it typically is. It's not as easy or, or accessible as looking at a lot of trail camera images. But in the module, there's two videos. They're, they're six minutes apiece, and the way it's broken down um, in, in the first video within six minutes you can easily and and determine okay is it a fawn is it a year and a half or two and a half and older like there's three simple rules right there it's so stinking easy for you to look at a jaw within seconds you're able to make accurately make that age estimation mm-hmm. i i think one of my one of my favorite things was the seven sins of aging deer on the hoof mm-hmm. just because we see it so much and it was yeah, there was yeah. all kinds of different things but seven things for aging deer seven sins for aging deer on the hoof and the things to not do when you're trying to age deer on the hoof and and to me it was so there's so much that all of us can learn from that on when it comes to looking at images or trying to figure out the age of bucks what did you find interesting interesting i um, mean it was all interesting yeah. but what were you like hmm i didn't think about that or or it was like wow that's that was really cool i like that explanation honestly what i thought most interesting was what i mentioned earlier about that the outline of that mature deer and then that younger buck kind of placed over top of it oh, i yeah. never thought about doing that but i mean it again it was a great visual representation of the two body differences i think mine was the tooth aging videos and mm-hmm. the explanation of a mountain uh, a new mountain and pointing and basically dentine versus enamel mm-hmm. and the and the erosion of that and seeing more of the rounded off deep dentine yeah. um, brown dentine in the teeth and what that means on aging deer it was it was a really good module i really enjoyed it i can't wait for the next one yeah takeaways no matter if you're in the field or you've already harvested deer you're going to be able to accurately age that deer when you're done going through this module take uh, it at your own pace i mean it's laid out super easy yeah Check it out, qdma.com forward slash land and legacy. You can get a 20% discount and join us for the next week um, as we discuss the next topic. Do you know what the next topic is? I forget what it is. Nope. Uh, I can't remember, but I know it's going to be a good one. Yep, it sure will be. Hey, before we move on, could I kind of bring something up? Yeah. So that buck my dad killed late season last year, I believe, I just texted him, I believe he was six and a half. Wow. Right, that's and fantastic. I, that, that was he. He had his jaw, um, he had his jaw sent in and mm-hmm. tested. Um, and I was just curious because I I had read some things and watched some other YouTube videos about it. But when the deer kind of gets to that age, do they they kind of act dumb again? Right, they kind of have a smaller range. Um, Can be a little bit. I mean, well, the, typically this buck the whole... did at least because we had pictures of them for 
man, like a, a week in a row, he was going out in daylight and mm-hmm. picking up the rest of the beans we had in that field. Yeah. And it's like, what is he doing? You know, we, we don't really have a lot of bucks that act like that yeah. because of pressure yeah. and the rut, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, I was just curious. He acted like an unmature buck. Yeah. Typically the home, the home range does shrink and get smaller. The studies have, have seen that in older age class bucks. Um, individual movements like that can, you know, what they're doing can be based on an individual themselves. Um, but to, to me, as, as hearing that as a, as a mature deer and six and a half, you know, you don't hear about that that much, but that's, that's just because of hunting pressure, I think. Yeah. When when think of like deer getting super old and becoming really just, you know, weird patterns like eight and nine. Like that's yeah. where I, I feel like I could I see that. You know, honestly, that could be a testament to the way you guys were hunting um, and, and maybe the proximity of good bedding cover to that food source. He felt comfortable. He felt safe enough um, to move like that in daylight. Yeah, we had stayed out of that field for a while. You know, there was no, he didn't it, sense pressure. When did he kill that deer? muzzleloader so it could have been mm-hmm. also a product of late season food and yeah we had a good i mean we saw a lot of deer i mean yeah i'm sure that has a lot to do with it but i just he was know, really worn we, down from the rut and just had we, to get forage yeah i'm sure he did um and we have pictures of him all over the place our farm um during the rut we had him in multiple different positions we had our neighbor had him on his land too everyone in our area this was a hitless buck Wow. Like this was the guy to kill, and wow. luckily my dad got him. But um, so I guess yeah, I guess six and a half isn't super old, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great for, caliber for, of deer, no doubt. Yeah, for our situation, that's very. I mean, they don't really live that long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, would, anyway. would would I second guess it? Six and a half? Heck no! no. Heck no. <laughs> no! No questions asked. But no. I, his behavior probably. Um, was was related to that late season and it was cold during those oh, later seasons it was it was it was bad i mean teens as a high mm-hmm. and and stiff winds i i remember that um, out in arkansas one morning I, I think it was six degrees wind chill like negative five ish somewhere mm-hmm. there. Oh. which is not dude it was brutal not our typical winter no nope. um especially in december so well this this week after going through the the module there we've got that special little I don't know, podcast episode of Would You Rathers. Um, this has been kind of that new feature we've added recently to the podcast, I guess 20 plus or so episodes back. But um, just kind of the, to throw in that lighthearted, fun, um, interesting, what would you do in this situation? It's kind of that uh, off-the-cuff feel to things. So we went live before we recorded and had gotten some other um, interaction with some uh, social media followers and they had sent in some would you rathers and we're just gonna go through them and see what the answers are see what people i guess people us what we think and we're gonna have some views i'm sure that we disagree on um but from there we'll just we'll just rock and roll adam you got uh you got the first one i guess this one's kind of makes you really think (laughs) oh yeah mr dominic and i think he's he's the guy that listened last week podcast and really really opened up some good discussion oh on yes things yeah on out of manassas virginia what's up CWD. um he asked would you rather own 10 acres where you have complete control over everything or you have sole permission to hunt 75 acres but very little ability to make any habitat improvements wow <laughs> that's laying uh, it out there dominic how yeah. about that yeah uh 
Now, keep in mind, 75 acres, you can, you've got several different hunting locations. Mm-hmm. You've got ways you can hunt different winds. And that would be my biggest complaint about small acreage, especially 10 acres, yeah. is you really only have a few winds you can hunt on. 75 acres, you can tweak around and find ways. Um, and so that comes down to the question, really, of would you rather be able to do habitat management or would you ha- rather have better hunting? Yeah. If knowing Northern Virginia, and if, if he is talking specifically about Northern Virginia, I'm going with 75 acres. There's deer everywhere there. Um, you're going to be able to be successful and, and have a target-rich environment. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to hunt. Um, so I'd like to have those options of, okay, you know, it's a west wind or tomorrow's a north wind. I can still hunt both days. I just got to be particular about the way I do access this farm. Ten acres is is plenty in some areas, and if it's the right ten acres, you can be successful every single year. But access but on, just tends to but be But on tough. paper, yes. saying ten acres for 75 acres, and the only difference is sole hunting rights or um, complete control, I would also agree I'd take the 75 acres. But if you were to ask me, 75 acres, sole hunting control, but 20 acres with complete control and able to do habitat management, and I saw the area, there's a chance I'd still say I'd, I'd rather have the 20 acres. But in this in this question, I'll say 75 acres. I'm going against you guys. Give me the 10, go hunt some public. Make that, <laughs> I mean, there's thousands of acres of public. Make that yeah. 10 acres, bedding central, hunt it, hunt it in the rut, and then go hunt public. The rest there you go. Time. That was a great response. Yeah. Told you we'd disagree. Who invited this guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's... Uh, I don't think you'd go wrong with either one. I mean, you could take no. the 10 acres and turn it into fantastic, a fantastic 10 acres, but I would feel like you'd still be handcuffed on some of your wind. Yes. Um, yeah. And so if you have the ability to hunt public ground, so when you do get the right wind, you can jump in there. But if you don't have the right wind, you can go hunt some public ground or hunt somewhere else. Um, that would be the biggest, the biggest question. But that's a really good one there. No doubt. You got, you want the next one? Oh, we got a couple from Mr. Justin Adams of, of Pure Air Natives. It says, if you could only plant one with no other food plots on the property, would you rather plant 10 acres nutritional summer food plot or one and a half to two acre kill plots? Soybeans are not allowed because they could be both. So 10 acres nutritional summer plot or one and a half to two acre kill plots. And that's on any size property, I guess. Mm. Mm. That's a good one, you know? I mean I'm gonna personally go with kill plots. I'm going kill it's plots only, for it's only one plot though. It's only one kill plot. It's one or and a, a half. kill plot. Yeah. Keyword letter A, a. in there. Who so put, you only did Justin get, put that in there? He did, yeah. He just I just saw him edit it <laughs> yeah, in there. Edited, yeah. <laughs> 10-acre nutritional summer plot Darn or you, a one-and-a-half-acre or two-acre kill plot. Now, 10 acres is going to cost some money to plant that entire area in a food plot. And chances are, if you own 10 acres, it's a 10-acre field, you're going to be trying to think of a way to make money off, off of it rather than spend money on it. Um, yeah, man. You know what? I'm still going to go two-acre kill plot. Which I don't think two acres is a. I wouldn't classify that as a kill plot necessarily, but if I, I I'm, I'm, I'd go with the. I'm going with the kill plot because, because of the other type of management that 
I would want to be doing on the property. Yeah, that's you shouldn't gonna, need food anyway. Exactly. You shouldn't and, need any food plots, I should say. They right. should have enough habitat, enough food in the native browse to where you don't have to require, you don't need a food plot to... Exactly. Sorry. But if you're in somewhere in, like, let's say, northern Michigan or something, it's like, ooh, having 10 acres of food would be key. would be good. I could own a lot of deer during the winter months, so... It's, but, I mean, again, it, it, there's a loaded question. There's there's details I would like to know. But knowing if, if I had my choice of, of management types, I'd be having a lot of early successional summertime yeah. browse. I'm going to go with the kill plot to be successful so I can reap the rewards of, of all that habitat work hopefully I'm doing. Two-acre yeah. kill plot. That's funny. That's our biggest deal on our farm, so I'm going the two-acre kill plot. <laughs> that feeds a lot of deer. I'd probably say the same thing. Um, two acre kill plot and have all kinds of diversity in there. So there's all kinds of food. Um, boy, that, yeah. Uh, and 10 acres, that's going to cost quite a bit of money. To plant uh, that's a big, seed. that's a big area. Plus, I can I, be I, tough to hunt. I may have to sleep a few nights in the doghouse if I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. justifying a 10 acres of seed and everything like that. So yeah, we're both, we're going to go with an agreement because Justin puts what he would rather have. And <clears> that was the one and a half to two acre kill plot. So that's what yep. we're going with. Yep. Um, his next question was, would you rather make or eat deer jerky or summer sausage? That's not even a would you rather. Just say both. Like, <laughs> yeah, Don't make us I, choose for that. I, I still, <laughs> I'm going to say jerky. Uh, I just like jerky better than summer sausage. So that's yeah, what I say. I, 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 like, I like jerky. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like both, obviously. We, but we get, we get summer sausage made, and it's really, really good. The jalapeno cheddar. Oh, stuff. man, Golly, stop but it. What, but we do make our jerky, so yeah. I'm probably going to have to go with jerky as far as like making it. It's fun. Right. His next one, would you rather hang and age your deer for a few days slash weeks before butchering, climate weather permitting, or begin butchering it within 36 hours of being killed, get it packaged and frozen ASAP? Last four to five years, I've been aging for three to four weeks and in a spare fridge prior to butchering. Hmm. If possible, I would much rather age the deer. Uh, we used to do that some when I was growing up, and it was always it was much better. But in this day and age, holy cow, there's so much going on. Oh, man. I, I, I Once the kill happens, it's like, let's get this cut up as fast as we yeah, can yeah. because I don't have enough time to let this. Now, if I'm living at the farm and I've got the ability to let it hang or cure in a in a fr- fridge or freezer or even if it's cold enough outside, I'd probably do it. I, I growing up, we had an outdoor kind of shed that was really protected and and it was just cool, um, especially in the late winter when we killed a lot of deer. I mean, yeah. we'd let them hang. I mean, stray cats didn't bother, eat too much. Mom, mom spooked <laughs> them off the front porch. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I, I, if I had the ability, I'd much rather let them let them age. But yeah. I yeah. don't have that kind of time a lot. So yeah. um, next one, if you only had one boot to wear, oh, this is a good one. All year, would you rather wear a rubber boot or a leather or leather or a synthetic material hunting boot all year long? Oh, gosh. I couldn't imagine, honestly, and, and I might be uh, spoiled, I guess, but I couldn't imagine wearing the same boot from September 15th to January 15th <laughs> right. in well, the conditions. I know, I know. Basically, any kind of leather boot, any kind of rubber boot, any kind of synthetic boot. I would and, go... And I'm going to put the, the the synthetic probably blended with the leather. I, I'm picturing like a... That's what I would do. Yeah, because a lot of them are part leather, part synthetic. Mm-hmm. And they're much more comfortable on the feet <laughs> walking yeah. around. I'm doing that. I mean... There was a day when I would wear rubber boots every single day I went deer hunting. 
but I also sweated yeah. to death about yes. 70% of the time and then froze to death. I think, and that's where you go into scent control. I would much rather, regardless, I want to be comfortable and my back not be killing me. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem I face when I do wear rubber boots a lot. But if I'm having to stick to one year round, I have to have a boot that can support my back. And I'm so I'm going with the leather or synthetic type mix um, with a Vibram sole. So I'm going to go rubber boot. I'm going to go rubber. Give him a few years and his back will hurt him and he'll be coming to the dark side. <laughs> a wise one or over get there. Some gnarly blisters because <laughs> yeah. you're walking for miles. I'm just thinking, <laughs> well, I'm if, ju- I'm, in, this question is all year. So exactly. we hit the sand hills in Nebraska. Right. You're going to you have to wear You didn't say this year. I'm right. saying typically. Or we go out west, and be you're terrible. gonna be—we're gonna force oh. him to wear those rubber boots. <laughs> I mean, come on! Somebody, Remember that? Would you rather you? I'm sticking to it. Somebody you didn't think wear it these through. rubber boots. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would go with leather boots. And yeah. and frankly, anymore during early part of deer season, I wear a light I, hiking boot because I, do. I don't sweat near as much. No, Matt, no. you wear rubber boots. No, I don't. Here. <laughs> no, and I so don't. I just love that. Boot too. I love that late season rubber boot with the thick. Um, thick insulation rather than a leather. To each its own. You can get thick insulation <laughs> leather boots. You can. I know. <laughs> I'm well aware, but I'd just rather have that slip-on rubber boot, thick insulated late season. All right. This is me. Would you rather have on your property feral cats or feral hogs, assuming there is a decent number of them? So you can. There's have, a left fielder. You can have twenty feral hogs or twenty feral cats. <laughs> I'm gonna go hogs. You'd rather have hogs yeah, because uh-huh. they eat really well. Huh? Yeah. Ah. Uh, the question is, they eat really well. You don't get to eat them. The one's gonna eat all your small game, or the other mm-hmm. one's gonna eat all your, all your food habitat. plots. There's nothing in there that says I can't kill them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which one's easier to eradicate? You can't yeah. kill cats. Man. I could go out there. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather Gee have whiz. the feral cats than the feral hogs because the feral hogs are ugh. not only can they eat fawns and, and be very destructive, but they also eat a lot of your habitat. Um, and the feral cats are really just going to eat your small game. I, don't th- I think I can take care of them and, and improve situations to make sure they're not as big of a problem. Well, and, and honestly, they have a natural predator, too. Like, they're, a bobcat's going to try and get a feral cat. A coyote's yeah. going to try and get a feral cat, whereas a feral hog, they it's up to As you. And they have an unlit, like, you're not going to be able to control them just by hunting. So I'm going to go feral cat as well. Yeah. I'd rather have feral cat. I saw cats. a hog at Stockton Lake the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and uh, my dad saw one running up by our farm in Buffalo. No really? kidding. Buffalo. Huh. Wow. Now, we haven't had any on the family farm. Never any pictures, never any sign, but there'll probably come a day. Oh. Um, suppressor thermal will be added on the shopping cart yeah. probably soon. Um, did I say that out loud? Yeah, you did. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, somebody, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll get a trap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. So feral cats, I'd rather I'd rather have those than the mm-hmm. feral hogs. But either way, you're, it's a problem that I would not want to face. No. No, thanks. Oh, no, thank you. You ready for old Mark Glenn and his would you rather? Yeah. Would you rather use a forestry mulcher 
or a dozer to clear roads and or fire lanes? Does terrain, terrain steep inclines affect your decision? And if burning immediately or in the future affect your decision? I would rather. I know my answer. Now that goes into, we can kick this one around for the next 10, 15 minutes. But when it comes to, I'm a landowner and I'm trying to figure out the best use of my money. Would I rather buy a dozer or would I rather buy a, like a skid steer and an implement forestry mulcher? I'm going with the forestry mulcher and the skid steer. Um, the dozer can do some wonderful things, but in this day and age, the little skitter with the mulcher can flat do some work. And I think for me, there's a lot more to clear your roads and fire lanes. That's what you'd rather I, have. Yeah, honestly, because the dozer is, if I'm getting into the, some of them, it's a lot, it's, I've seen a lot of fire lines get built on with a dozer and have built some with a dozer. And then I've seen a lot get built with a mulcher and and a skid steer and quicker and frankly I I, I would rather have the uh, I'd rather have the mulcher. So I'm probably gonna go with dozer um, because you never know what kind of situation you're gonna run into and caliber size of trees and the the mulcher leaves mulch on the ground. And if it gets wet right afterwards and you're trying to burn, they're going to smolder. If there's if it's a high density of them, could potentially smolder quite a bit. Um, or even um, if it is dry afterwards, potentially carry flame. Well, so when you that, say big trees, though, I wouldn't want to push them over anyway. That's if you're talking big monster trees. Well, it or says big to trees. clear roads. Yeah, I'd, I'd still like the forestry mulcher. I'm with Matt on this one. Yeah, I'm going dozer. All right, have at it. Waste your money. It's, hey, you don't have to get angry, man. We're just <laughs> answering the questions. It doesn't say you have to buy. It just says, would you rather use? Would I rather use? I just think rather I've seen use. a lot of terrible roads get built with dozers. That's operator error. That's not equipment because there's yeah, been great roads that have been built with dozers. Well, with both, too. So I, I, I still, I'm sticking to my guns here. Okay, you can have your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> opinions are okay here. Yeah. This is America. So here's the other part of that, would you rather. If you bought a farm, which, which what's the first piece of equipment you buy? Tractor, UTV, skid steer. Out of those, skid steer. If, if, if clearing things need to get done. I'll throw a dozer in there, too. Depends on mm. the condition of the whole farm. What I needs just, to be that's done? That's farm. So it's mixed. Let's say it's my family farm. Which one are you guys buying? It's got open ground. It's got brush. It's got some invasive species. It needs roads. It needs food plots. It needs fire lines. Which one do you buy? I'd say tractor. You're going with the tractor. Yeah. A lot. You you can use a lot of implements on it. It's pretty versatile. They do you have forestry mulchers now on tractors. Yeah. Three-point hitch. You guys have had your chainsaw time. I mean, you're used to running that chainsaw. Just get after with the chainsaw if you need to take anything yeah. too big down. Woo, there's a I, lot of clearing I, needs to be done. For me, I, I would probably go skid steer still. And here's my thought process on that is because you can clear a lot of open ground. You can take out some invasives. You can put in some great roads. Um, you can put in great fire lines on a lot of a lot of slopes that you couldn't get a tractor on. Um, or, frankly, you can put some trails in some very funky places with a, with a skid steer 
and a mulcher. Now, if you're asking me long-term plans, that's how I would, I, as soon as I buy the farm, I'd buy that. And then once I get everything in place, I'd sell that and get the tractor and the UTV. Good move. So that that's kind of my thought process on, on all that. Right at first, I would I would agree, and I'd go with a skid steer to get things in place. Um, here's the thing about tractors. Your neighbor, if you have four neighbors, probably have one. If yeah. you're in an area that's got land, and you know, you can, might be able to rent it for a day um, or, or borrow an implement, um, you know, do the whole neighborly thing. But a skid steer, if I have that option to be able to purchase that, and, and I know the farm needs work initially, I would go with that and then hope that I could um, borrow a tractor to, to plan and do the other necessary things. But there's so many implements that are available. Um, gosh, we've seen the, the Vail X on um, all their line of implements kind of work and run before. Man, that's crazy what you can do with that type of equipment um, and the massive amounts of clearing. So I, I think I would go with that skid steer option and, and lots of it. They're so versatile. That's yeah. the thing you can do so much with them. And, and that's why, that's why I like them so much. Um, plus you don't have a lot of, as I mentioned on the last, would you rather, there's a lot of things, a, a lot of screw ups you can make with a dozer, but, um, you're not tearing up as much dirt with the, um, with the skid steer and forestry mulcher. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of my mindset. I'm trying to get back to the other would you rather, so go ahead and jump on with another one. Would you rather have a – this is Jesse Wildman. Would you rather have a small lot in a great neighborhood or a large property in a bad neighborhood? Uh, with that question, I'm going small lot because I've always said you don't have to own the right – the 400 acres, you just need to own the right 20. And if you're in a good neighborhood, I can do the work – and improve it to where I feel like I can accept, I can assess what's going on in the neighborhood and find the limited resource and put that on my ground. So I'd rather have the great neighbors. I would I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I guess up until a certain point of the large property you're talking about, um, you know, once you get up to <laughs> yeah. a large property. Would you rather own 20 acres in a good neighborhood or 2,000 in a bad? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> See? <laughs> but generally speaking, um, I, that neighborhood is so important. So important yeah. when you're looking at, at and shopping yeah. around for hunting properties. Would you agree? I, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I would agree. Next one from Jesse. Would you rather have a property that borders public land and allows access to free and extra acres or land surrounded by private? Before we answer that, I will say this is one thing that we really strive to do, and we I would say that we do a pretty good job at it is finding the positive in every situation. Um, I think there's a lot, <laughs> in society in general, we always focus on negatives rather than positives so much of the time. But I think when, especially with land, there's so many things you can look at that could be negative, but let's focus on the positive. So with this, sure, it looks like a negative that it borders public ground. And I hear that a lot. Ugh. I, I hate that, that it's no. it borders public yeah. ground. There's going to be so many guys coming over on me. But then the other side of that is you get so many additional so acres. Many. Yeah. And so I like ground that borders public ground because a lot of times, too, especially here in Missouri, public ground gets managed into where there's some prescribed fire, there's some timber management, there's some native grass planted. They're focused on trying to improve the land for the wildlife just as well, I say that, 
just as much as I do, but maybe a little bit less, but probably more than a neighbor that's an absentee landowner that just owns a property and doesn't do anything with it. So I I like owning land next to public ground. I'm totally agreeing with that from the aspect of most times the hunting pressure that's on there, obviously the pressure is only during hunting season. So um, there's still deer that use that property all season long. Um, and if there's a lot of hunting pressure, where is it going to go? It's going to, the deer going to go to you. Um, and, and if you have your property set up right and you, and it's a secure safety area, you're going to have an influx of deer when you're hunting. Um, you know, that, that's the way I, I look at it. And you might have another option to access that public ground that no one else does too. Um, which gives you two advantages in that situation. Exactly. I'm going that, um, with the public ground. I've, done a lot of scouting this last winter and i've been pretty impressed with the the habitat they have in place and you have so many more options that you can go in and you like you said you probably have an an advantage on a particular area of that public ground that you can get to way easier from your property than you would from having to park two miles away so yeah i'm all about that that i think and also um if you're let's look at the negative just on okay, there's a management hunt that happens on the second week of November. You could look at it and say, well, the second week of November, I'm going to open up my farm, and I'm not even going in there, and I'm going to let the deer search it out as security yeah. to where I know the next week when all those hunters are out of there, I could sneak around the edges and have way more deer using my property. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's point. so many advantages to having public ground bordering your area. Um, so I, I'm not opposed to it. Now, given there could be some bad places out there where – being next to it isn't as good but on average from my experience it is a good thing so i would i would like to have it i wouldn't shy away from buying a place that was next to it no I not at, at all you guys met ad right you my dad's buddy ad yeah yeah owns, that one he day owns, um some property down uh by the current river that borders Summersville. yes mm-hmm. and he killed a giant 13 point buck and i believe he killed it on public ground Right huh. next to where his property was. Interesting. There yeah, you go. they see a lot of deer, man. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. That's a great area. Yeah. The next would you rather is from Chad. Would you rather have 650 acres leased with total control over habitat, great supply of resources, but limited funds, or own 530 acres with total control plus great supply of resources and funds? Neighboring property is awesome co-op, set, co-op setting. Huh. Sounds like he's got something specific in mind. I know, right? <laughs> so, Chad, are you thinking about buying or yeah. uh, leasing? I, I'd like the 530 with no total doubt. control. It's it's only 120 acres difference. And, yeah. I'd, uh, I, I'd rather have 530 with total control, great supply of resources and funds. No no doubt. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's an easy no-brainer for me, 530. Yeah. 120, I can justify the loss of 120 with more toys and more... Yeah. More funds to For play sure. with the toys, yeah. yeah. That's a lot of land. Yeah. He asked another one within mm-hmm. that. Would you rather hunt over a main trail leading to an ag source or a creek crossing leading to a bedding area? Well, that depends on the Ooh. setting. Yeah. In the, time, time of the of day, year. time of There's the year. There's so many things. Um, but... Early I mean, season, food source, rut, bedding. <laughs> yeah. Late season, I, food source. I think, uh, oh, man. Just on that, though, we're trying to play this game right there with him. Yeah. Um, that's uh, Okay, I'm going to play. Let's play this game right here with him. Chad, I'm sorry. I love you. Um, this is a great question, but I'm going to get real particular and wheeze my way out of this <laughs> one. He says a main trail leading to an ag good source 
or a creek crossing leading to a bedding area. So I'm going to the... <laughs> he doesn't say anything about food. Yeah, so. he meant food. Okay. <laughs> I'm going... <clears throat> I'm going with bedding area. Yeah, I, I would. I'd rather hunt that. You know, when when he says leading to a bedding area, I'm I'm assuming that it's a like a good bedding area that we yes. know is there. Yep. While a food source is, we don't necessarily know that's the preferred food source, especially since it's a large ag field. Um, it could be there's other food in the area, so we don't know that they're going to that one. Let's just hope that the bedding area is more popular. So bedding yeah, area. I'm right there with you. Creek crossing too. In my head, I picture a, a solid one where they a lot of deer cross it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like a small creek that they all just cross at various areas, but good well, creek Well, the crossing. bedding area, too, you're almost like, if you know they're bedding in there, you're pretty much like guaranteed you're going to see some deer that night, right? Yeah. Whereas like a food source, there could be, like you said, food elsewhere. There could be really nice habitat where they're feeding in the timber or whatever. You could be so, a long ways from yeah. the bedding area. Exactly. That's so, my whole thing. The time of when they show up to that food source yeah. can change. Right at dark, whatever. You have a square track of 40 acres of timber in the Midwest completely surrounded by ag fields. Would you rather focus your habitat improvements on creating cover or creating food plots? Easy no-brainer. Cover. Yeah. Cover, cover, cover. you got to do something in your neighborhood that no one else <laughs> is doing. And it sounds like everyone else around that area would it's be farming. having food, right? Yeah. yeah. No, no brainer there. Ooh, would Ryan re- Hesse. Great neighbors or great access? Great I'm going, access. You're going great access? Because I feel like if I have great access, I have the ability to keep the deer. Now, no idea on the size, but great access to me you can have good neighbors, bad neighbors, but if you have bad access, you're not. It doesn't matter. Great, a- and if you put them on yeah. a priority list, great access is better than great neighbors. Yeah, it's what we always preach in a consulting setting. Um, is definitely great access. Great neighbor is super, super important. So it's a great question, Ryan. But you've you've got to be able to be successful in your property, mm-hmm. no matter what le- neighbors do um, or what they don't do. So if I'm you're bumping with, deer, you're not going to have a lot of success. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so great access is, is definitely paramount there. Um, and I feel like we're semi-live because Dominic, <laughs> who had one earlier, had just dinged in. Oh, like that yeah. was a minute ago. Okay. Semi-live. He says, would you rather hunt a steady 30-mile-an-hour wind or a slightly swirling 3-mile-an-hour wind? <laughs> oh, oh wow. steady 30, <laughs> yeah. buddy. Uh, Give me the 30. Yeah. That's a heavy wind, though, too. Absolutely, I, I yeah. don't mind it at all. Yeah, uh, I can't stand swirly winds. Yeah. I honestly, yeah. and, and and Dominic, we we've talked about it in past um, podcasts, specifically swirling winds and winds we don't hunt like miles per hour. We, we don't hunt under, and, and typically we don't want to hunt anything a day or an evening, a morning, whatever it is, under five mile an hour. We just our our topography is too changing, and it's gonna swirl if it's not strong enough and if it's under five, ugh, we're probably staying at home, honestly. So thirty all day long. Yep, I would I would agree. I can't get to the questions from Facebook Live, uh, but we did have a question on Instagram asking if we would rather do a growing season burn or a what non-growing season burn i guess was his question dormant tra- season dormant season that's what he or growing season burn. i knew that didn't sound right dormant <laughs> season or growing season burn on smooth oh man i about butchered <laughs> that my memory is terrible 
Bahia grass, blue stem, old field combination. Would I rather burn during growing season or dormant season? Uh, and once again, there's so many things. I mean, wow. if, I, if I laid it out and said I want to burn at this time of the year, I, the next year I'd want to burn, or the next the next time a burn was cycled out, I'd want to burn at the other time of the year. Mm-hmm. But at that, let's say I just get to the property and that's my first setup or my first time to see it, I'm going to try and knock the Bahia grass back. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if, and since he didn't say anything about herbicide or chemical and all my, my only tool is fire, I'm going to say I want to burn in a dormant season, late dormant season, early growing season. I, I know yeah. I just rode the fence on that. I was going to say late, late dormant. That's basically in that uh, I'm going to try. And basically because of that, that's that late spring, early summer burn to where I'm trying to set the Bahia grass back, knock it back, and let that native grass have a better chance of Bingo. Of, of overtaking. So I I would say late dormant season. Bingo. I'm 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 agreeing right there with you. Um, let me try and pull up these. In the in the meantime, honestly, what kind of spurred this was an email um, that had come in of, of a would you rather, and that email. Um, it says, I have 55-acre farm in Kentucky that was purchased in 2017. The farm was a working cattle farm several years ago, so I have closed canopy hardwoods, and I'm also overrun with red cedar in some areas. I've cut a bunch of cedar and have also made travel corridors and bedding, mostly by hinging or falling maples. For summer habitat project, would you rather continue cutting cedar in a couple areas or make additional bedding areas slash travel corridors throughout the farm that are not overrun by cedar. And that was Patrick Stewart. Thank you, Patrick, for sending that one in. Basically, it's his question is, would you rather cut more bedding areas by cutting red or cutting maple out or cut cedars? Yeah, pretty much. Basically, I would rather cut cedars. I would too. Because they're only going to make bedding areas once I cut them. And I think that's one aspect of this. You know, he says that I'm taking into consideration for this answer. I purchased it in 2017. And there's still kind of a learning curve that you could have um, before you go in and start cutting a lot of these uh, travel corridors and bedding. I'd want a really solid year of hunting that farm to realize how deer are using that terrain and current habitat. Um, before I go in and really put in permanent, um, whether it's clear cuts or these travel corridors, I want to take a season and learn that. So I'm gonna, I'd be focusing right now on just removing what I know is bad, what I'm going to remove no matter what. And then once I have a year of hunting it, try and, and, and use that information to my advantage to, to then make the bedding areas and travel corridors. It, it kind of sounds like he has a lot of cedar thickets. Mm-hmm. And it also says he has closed canopy forest. So I imagine he probably doesn't have a whole lot going on for habitat in the timber and if there's big cedar thickets he cuts all those down you're going to get a lot of sunlight to the forest floor in those areas so yeah no doubt with that no doubt we just did the bahia grass one so going back to facebook live facebook live let's pull that up here i would say okay here's here's one for you Shermer. would you rather running a chainsaw for a Saturday for four hours, would you rather go in and cut out on your farm, okay, 
Would yeah. you rather go and cut more bedding thickets, those little clear cuts, mm-hmm. or would you rather go and cut some edge feathered, do some edge feathering on a food plot, some open and closed edge feathering to try and steer more deer into the food plot closer to your stands? Right now, as our farm sits, I would definitely cut the more uh, uh, bedding areas. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> just because, like I, I had said the very first time I've been on the podcast, I, I kind of described it a little bit. We have a very close canopy forest, and yeah. we don't have that great a good – we don't have very good bedding. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what we've been working on anyways. So I just continue doing that. And we already have cedar thickets um, that we're working on cutting. And also – we met with our um, our local MDC. Uh, MDC guy, and we've got some projects in the works. Landry nice. Jones. Yeah, because you guys helped, you know. Awesome. That idea, yeah. Landry so we're going to do that right? work. Any- I believe it was. Yeah, that's right. Um, we, uh, we were going to do that work anyway, so now we're just going to get paid for it. That's right. Bingo. What were the- it, do it, use that money and do something else. Yeah. yeah. What were the projects that you guys cut out? Like- so um, we, we have two cedar thickets left. And then we're going to connect the Jake's Field to the Horseshoe. And what we're going to do, so it's kind of going to be a permanent, that one's going to be a, considered a permanent opening. Okay. Um, so we're going to have the two fields. There's a trail that goes to them right now mm-hmm. anyways. Um, and we're not going to just connect them fully. We're going to leave some timber on either side of the field so it's not just like one gigantic oh, perfect. field. Yep. So it's going to be a field in a the middle. Travel corridor, yeah, basically. Basically, travel corridor. Um and then, so the two cedar thickets, that, and then uh, a TSI project as well, just in, in like the heart of our farm, just a timber stand improvement, taking out hickories. And our farm was logged a while ago, so we have very dominated, uh, hickory dominated forest. Oh, yeah. So, as most so, of the Ozarks yeah, cut so, the oaks years ago, left the hickories to, yep. to replenish. But So that's the project. I, I think you're off to a great start no going with your, with your answer to my question because for your place knowing how it is bedding is your one is your one of your biggest limiting factors mm-hmm. so if you did all that edge feathering you have a chance that that's preferred bedding so right, they'd be bedding right, right next so it, when you're going to a farm you want to make those bedding areas more defined and then focus on improving that edge just because if the best edge habitat and the best cover you have is right at the edge of the food plot they're going to bed right next to the food yeah. plot so <laughs> No uh, bueno. <laughs> from every time. Yeah, you got to get a little bit of distance, but we want to we want to shrink it down to where it's not too much distance. There's that happy medium. So we're back to the Facebook Live questions, and um, Josh Healy says, if your property is lacking both food and cover, and you only had time to do one thing the first year, what is more important? Cover. Uh, uh, yeah, I think cover for sure, um, because it sounds like you would have to cut out the food plots and then put those in while you could just cut it out and get the cover. And probably, judging this is very much an average on the country, but cover is oftentimes one of those things that's very lacking. Um, it lacks across the country for the most part. Um, so, I mean, this is a you don't get to have both kind of deal, yeah. obviously. So, if I know that the deer or bedding on my property, I can provide them cover within that year time frame. I can hunt them more effectively. Um, but if I only have the food, you know, sometimes there's times of the season where they're not getting to food sources till um, after dark or be- become nocturnal period. So, but if I own the deer, I know that they're on my property and I can hunt them then. Um, and most times or, or many times, some of that cover can also be forage too. Like mm-hmm. if you're going in and, and doing these 
TSI products or some hinge cutting, um, you can kind of provide both. But uh, I'm going to go with cover as well. Yeah, I would agree. What else you got? We got... Coming up on an hour, so I don't think there's a whole lot left. But fixed blade or mechanical, Zach? Uh-oh. I shoot. I mean, I shoot mechanical now. I used to shoot muzzy. I... I think you just ought to try it with your bow um, yeah. to see what shoots the best. Uh, I, I stick with mechanicals, but and I've killed deer with both. Both very efficient. Uh, it's a bigger cut diameter with the mechanicals, though, so that's kind of why I go with that. Yeah, that's a uh, that don't even. That's just like trying to debate that Chevy's better than Ford or Ford's better right. than Chevy. It's a toughie. Yeah. You guys CWD? Right? I do shoot mechanicals. Yep. Yeah, yeah we both I, do. We yep. both do. I, I've shot mechanicals for years. I didn't have great experience with fixed blade way back in the day. Looking back, it was because of the setup I had with my bow and what I was yeah. pulling, but it just put a bad taste in my mouth. And I've tracked a lot of deer that we never found that were shot with fixed blade and. Hmm. And, and and I think it goes back to not only your bow setup some, but the way you shoot. Like Adam, you and I, honestly, we we have kind of different aim points. Um, yeah. Or you typically don't hold as tight to the shoulder as I do. No. Um, so a two inch cut for, I, it's not that it's your miss, but where you you tend to just I shoot, hit, a, lot shoot of a little further back. Yeah. Because I've had bad experiences yeah. with hitting deer in the shoulder. And seen a lot of people shoot deer in the shoulder to where, I, with a mechanical and with with the broadheads I've used in the last five years and shooting them in the liver and giving them an hour or two hours, I have no problem ever finding them. Yeah. Like I, I find them, and it's like, well, they die quickly, and it's very ethical. Um, now it's not your. Now I will say I shot we, sticker eight in the heart at forty yeah. yards, and he yeah. ran five yards and was done. Um, but right for, over for the That's most awesome. part i average i usually shoot them the back of the lungs and the liver and and i don't want to seem like you know we're not picking on you but for for someone who's listening like oh i, I shoot shoot them in the liver like that's not your that's not your aim point but if you were to miss that's where you specifically want to miss at that yeah. that's your miss um i mean it is a vital shot so it's, yeah, it's an extremely vital shot yeah but you do have to let them lay i've, I've yeah. bumped deer on liver shots I have done that, so you do. Yeah, need to let them it's that out. understanding of okay, what's my next move after I do shoot yeah, them there? But it is I think, fatal. I think a lot of the times, one of the biggest problems isn't the broadhead, mechanical, or fixed. It's tracking the deer too quickly after Boom. the shot. Absolutely, a hundred. Too many people track deer too too soon. They it, shoot the deer, they get excited, they think they yep. smoked the deer, they didn't see it fall, but they think in their head that it was a smoke, and they go after him thirty minutes after the shot, and yep. they end up bumping the deer, and it could be. A smoke and you and you lung shot it, but it could have been more one lung than two than double lung, and therefore that deer can run a long time yeah. and, and live a long time or live a while, uh, especially if you bump them. So to me, it doesn't matter if if you're shooting fixed blade or mechanical. Make the ethical shot, but give the deer plenty of time. Yep, that's practice, that's numero practice, uno. Practice. Yeah, <laughs> be confident in in what whichever one you select because, like you said, you're, you can be successful with both, but when you're making that shot and you're taking that shot, know that you're gonna you're gonna take that animal. You know you're gonna harvest it. You got and a mindset. And if you're traveling, look at your state regulations too, because there's some states I believe still that only allow brought, uh, fixed for uh, big game. I can't they remember. That? Maybe I know Colorado. I think used to be just they fixed blade, it. but I it's changed now. Yes, okay. 
Matt, what else you got? That was it. Okay. That was it. Yeah. Well, that's good. We're over an hour. That was a lot of would you rathers. Um, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. That was fun. fun. Yeah, for sure. I, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Zach, Canon or um, Panasonic? Well, what are we doing? We're, we're filming and photography. You've got one camera to take. Oh, Ooh. Um, put it on the spot. I just got this GH5S, and I'm pretty impressed with it. So Good photos? Very good photos, very good low light. Now, it's not a huge megapixel camera. I believe it's only like 12. Yeah. But <clears throat> I don't know exactly the science, but for some reason, the lower the megapixels, the better low light, and uh, for some reason, the video quality is better. I don't know what it is, but that camera's pretty sweet. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we we did I think we we talked to you about it before we recorded, but some gentleman was asking about like filming hunts and and doing a podcast <clears> on that, and um yeah that was during the live situation and I think it'd be fun to have like you Nathaniel yeah um, everyone kind of on get some some different thoughts on on filming different setups and and whatnot just kind of get people let's do it ready for uh, the fall if they want to take on that adventure sounds good all right that wraps up this week's podcast go to cutiemay.com forward slash land and legacy to join us on the QDMA modules over the next nine weeks. We're going to cover a wide variety of topics, but it's a really great learning experience this week's obviously by now you've listened aging deer on the hoof. Um, also check out deer lab 30 day free trial. If you go to deerlab.com forward slash land and get ready for deer season, that's a great app, not just for categorizing <laughs> photos, but also learning about your photos, whether it be, the deer patterns for wind directions, moon phases, um, all things great with monitoring deer images. Um, also, leave us a review, please. Uh, we're getting very close with the apparel line. Uh, we want this to be perfect when we launch. That's why it's taking a little bit of time to get that going. We have some really cool stuff, really cool artwork coming. So leave us a review, and there's a good chance if we like it, we will send you a hat or shirt when we get this apparel launch. So... That should motivate you to hopefully leave a review for us on our Facebook page or leave it on iTunes, Sportsman's Nation, uh, Podcast Network, Whitetail, and then say something about Land and Legacy, please. Watch anyway, it on YouTube. Land watch and it on YouTube. Yeah, That's right. Check it out on YouTube, especially if we have a podcast devoted to maps and everything visual. So no, just watch it anyway. Watch it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the man. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there, and we're answering the podcast, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God?